The phrase patient-centred care is used a lot. It's not an easy thing to do. You know that to deliver patient-centred care, the patient needs to have some power. And that's also quite tricky because as a highly trained professional, you have a lot of power and we want you to have that power so that you can make us better. That said, the research shows that when patients feel empowered, it results in better health outcomes. If patients feel empowered, they're more likely to stay in hospital and engage with their treatment. My name's Vicky Kerrigan, and in this podcast, our specialists will share their thoughts on how to empower patients and also why patients leave hospital even when they're still sick. Ask the Specialist, a podcast where doctors from Royal Darwin Hospital ask a team of specialists to answer the questions they have about working with Aboriginal patients. My name is Billawarra Lee. Billawarra means the red-tailed black cockatoo. I am an elder of the Larrakia Nation. My name is Parawaingi Purintadamiri, a Tiwi elder. And my name is Rajoy Melanie Herdman, and I am from Arnhem Land. The specialists are Larrakia, Tiwi and Yolngu leaders who have all had personal experiences in hospital in the Northern Territory of Australia. In these podcasts, doctors ask the questions, but you won't hear their voices. That's done by my mate, Richard Margotson. How can we empower people to feel like they're allowed to ask questions? Because I know that I ask, have you got any questions? And sometimes I wonder whether, in fact, there is a... I don't want to ask a stupid question. And I'm a firm believer no question's a stupid question because it tells me that I'm not doing my job if you haven't understood something. Give them time to talk. You know, give them the opportunity to say what they want to say and open up. Many times... Doctors will come and say, oh, you've got this and this and this. Um, it doesn't give them the opportunity to talk. And that's, that's how, I think that's how you do the power shift, you see, to let, let them know that they're in charge, I reckon. Th- that's right. You see, a lot of these people, are, are, they're control freaks. Yeah. So they've got to change their, their way of thinking. Yeah. So, so even just entering the um, healthcare environment is... When a health professional is talking to an Aboriginal person, they automatically feel inferior. So, you know. Stuart, I like your comment where you really let them know that this is your body and that you are the boss yeah. for that. I will support your decision. You've got to reassure them that if they ask questions, that's okay. <laughs> How do we make patients feel empowered in the clinical scenario? Do we give up our power? Like you try with body language, but how do we do that? I guess my verbal language probably isn't that good in doing that. I'm just uncertain with it sometimes if I've got my little badge and I'm in my scrubs, whether that whole symbolism thing gets in the way of that message that I'm trying to convey. If I've got my little badge and I'm in my scrubs, yeah, that would be off-putting. I know one doctor who's, he seems to have this great rapport because he actually wears a NAIDOC shirt 
or a yeah. a football Guernsey with Aboriginal print on it. He always wears like you know, yeah. indigenous yeah. print shirt when he's actually consulting, not a suit. That's actually smart. <laughs> and then you think, is he Aboriginal? Is he not? The Aboriginal patient's going to be like, oh wow, this guy's quite relaxed. He's not all medicaled out with a green gown on and stuff. But not only that. He is comfortable enough to walk around in public with Aboriginal artwork on his body. Yeah. Now, if you're a racist or a bigot, you will not put on an Aboriginal print shirt. And if you're a female doctor, you know the big trend at the moment to wear the woven earrings? If you wore them woven earrings, you'd be like, oh. Yeah, yeah. It just opens up this chink. I'm Vicky, here with my co-host Stuart. Stuart's an Aboriginal health practitioner, so he works with patients all the time. We're talking about giving patients power, which is important so they can actually engage with their care. Yep, definitely. Just makes them think again, you know, that they haven't lost all their rights or authority in in the consult. And this this idea, it prompted Tiwi elder Peter Waiingi Kurantatameri to share with us this concept that he came up with. You know, I've, I've made up this thing myself. I've called it the Five People's Vow, A-E-I-O-U, right? A stands for arrogant, E for ego, I for ignorance. And if you've got those one, two, three, you've got the O, it's for open opportunity, and then U, it's for understanding. So if you've got the first three, you can have the, you can change by having these last two O and U. In every organisation, CEOs, managers, in top position, I've seen those displayed, arrogant, ego and ignorance. Yeah. It's very hard for those people that have been trained to come down uh, to be humble. But it can be done. If you are going to work with Indigenous people, patients, get off from the high horse and come down. Yeah. Talk to normal people as a normal person. Yeah. Mm. So, and it's an important thing. I felt like I was sitting at the feet of Buddha or whoever you think is wise. Yeah, Peter Wangi talking about the sacred knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why do people leave without telling the nurse or doctor? Or why do people get up and go and sometimes come back and sometimes not? What are they thinking in that moment? I know there's different priorities, but why don't patients tell us more about why they're leaving? Well, there could be heaps of reasons. Um, Do they realise that they have to tell somebody that they're walking out of this building? A real-life example? An old man got a call to say that his grandson had been killed and he had to go and do ceremony and he got up and walked out because he thought if he told anyone he would be prevented and he, it was his role to do ceremony. So he had to get up and leave. So often there are uh, family and cultural obligations around why they must go, fully understanding that they need to come back, you know, Obviously, there are many reasons. The communication may not be good between the patient and the doctor. 
where the patients sometimes being kept in hostels, accommodation, there could be a problem there. It could be also with patients and, and their own family. could be cultural. Mm. There are cultural reasons as well. Yeah. Yeah, all sorts of cultural reasons, including avoidance. So a conflict. Had a conflict with, with... That other family group. Yeah. So that's why they run away. They won't tell anybody because it's not their business to know. <laughs> We don't know what's going on, and we sort of hear people who've taken their own leave, but we don't know what the pressures were on that person and why they decided that they no longer needed to be in this building. Maybe we didn't listen, or maybe there were competing things. One is that isolation. They feel isolated. How would you like to be taken from your house, going hunting on your country on on your time, to sitting in a room with a TV fixed on one channel, not being able to speak in your language, choices, and then you can't go to Centrelink, and so then they they deem you as non-compliant, and then you're cut off from Centrelink, so you have no income, and you can't call home to ask family for help, and you can't you're not allowed to take an escort with you because you, you're old enough to look after yourself even though English is your 50th language. Sometimes they get up and go because it's cold and they don't like the environment and they go outside and time just overtakes them. I've had many an argument where the rule was that if you, lift your, if you left your bed for so many hours, you were then deemed an absconder and your bed was given away. And I think it's discrimination And that's wrong because people may want to go downstairs and sit and catch up with family and talk. They just get sick of just speaking in English and they want to go downstairs and yarn in language, you know. Some of these people who come to receive treatment and care in our hospital systems are sometimes the pillar of families. So they, once they go... All hell breaks loose. The kids aren't being fed. They're not getting to school. The washing machines broke down. Um, the power's gone out or the housing office is coming because the primary tenant has gone to hospital for six months and everyone's got to move out. And so sometimes they're the reasons why they want to go home. Sadly, one of the reasons Aboriginal patients leave hospital when they're still sick is to attend funerals. You told us that you'd like to know more about sorry business protocols because you'd like to understand cultural obligations a bit more so that maybe you can help to reduce self-discharge rates. I've certainly come across some people who are very agitated when they're being kept in hospital when there was some sorry business going on. The ward's busy thinking they're trying to be non-compliant. We're at cross-purposes that I don't think we have much of a handle on. Law and culture, we don't understand that. It's, it's wrapped up in their well-being and their health model and that they wouldn't necessarily tell us about it. But it may influence their health and their what we call compliance. I really hate that word compliance, but you know. <sighs> Another tough one. So, 
I know they're big questions. Yeah, but that's good. Thank you for asking. And yes, funerals are a big part of our life. I know that some Western cultures and Western society, you don't go to funerals until you're 20, 25 in your adulthood. Whereas our life, we have a sense of, we have the need to go and pay our respects, whether it's through singing the song lines for our men or dancing for our women and being there and making sure because we're spiritual people as well in our culture and by doing those activities or those dances or ceremonies we help guide that person back to their country or their spirit back to their country so that's why people often have that urge to go back you've got to be in situ with the family the extended family and the deceased person uh, on country. You have to feel it on your feet, like you're on the country. and Our land, our country is the church. Yeah. Real life story, I got a phone call in the middle of the night, absolute distress by the nurse. Mr so-and-so from this remote community, elderly man, he'd had a brain tumour and he'd had a serious operation and so he was in recovery but it was pretty um, he was getting out of bed, struggling to put his clothes on. He was leaving. And they're like, no, you can't, you can't because your wound is, you know, you've got to have all shit. And he's going, I have to go. My grandson's been killed in an accident. We've got sorry business tomorrow. I have to conduct the ceremony. He was the ceremonial master. And she said, you know, but if he goes, he could die. And, I, and so what we negotiated was one of the male nurses would go with him on the plane back to country to be there just to keep an eye on him. He conducted the whole ritual and ceremony safely, got back on the plane and came back to the hospital and then finished his treatment. Or they make sure that somebody takes care of them till they get home. Most communities have a clinic, know and understand most of them have telehealth. I I don't see an issue other than people might complain about the expense. Well, you know what? Bad luck. What we've just talked about relates to to that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's all about culture. Spirituality is part of our health as well. It's very deeply embedded in people. So if we miss funeral or something, that's that's no no good to our... Yeah. Spirituality, it's affecting the health of the spirituality. And a lot of non-Indigenous people can't comprehend that. They will not, they will never comprehend that. Uh, obligations, uh, that's a big thing, cultural for every Indigenous people. They have obligations. Let's do the paper round on empowering your patient. Give your patient time to talk about what's important to them. And remember what Stuart said. When a health professional is talking to an Aboriginal person, they automatically feel inferior. Consider wearing Indigenous prints or Indigenous-designed jewellery. Show you're an ally. Remember Pirawayingi's five people's vows. A for arrogant, E for ego, I for ignorance, and then remember the two most important, O is for opportunity and openness, and U is for understanding. Understand that your patient has family and cultural obligations and that ceremonies and funerals are incredibly important to the health and well-being of your patient. 
And if a patient needs to go home for sorry business, see if you can work with the local health clinic to make sure your patient's okay. Because you obviously don't want your patient readmitting through the emergency department. Next time on Ask the Specialist. The nurses came to me and brought the consent form for me to sign. But those boxes had already been ticked. So I got upset about it. We'll talk about consent. And Pirawaingi shares what happened to him at the hospital. Thank you to Auntie Bilawara Lee, Pirawaingi Purantata Mary, Rachiwoi Melanie Herdman, and Stuart Yiwar McGrath for sharing their knowledge and personal experiences. I'm Vicky Kerrigan. We hope you've learnt some stuff you can try at work, but we also hope you've been inspired to think about who you are and how you work. Because while it's helpful and completely fascinating to learn about Aboriginal cultures, if we're sincere about wanting to improve health outcomes for everyone, we need to critically think about our culture and how we can change. Not just as individuals, but also take a look at the places where we work and the policies we've created to suit how we think the world should operate.